You're listening to Canadian IP Voices, a podcast where we talk intellectual property with a range of professionals and stakeholders across Canada and abroad. Whether you are an entrepreneur, artist, inventor, or just curious, you will learn about some of the real problems and get real solutions for how trademarks, patents, copyrights, industrial designs, and trade secrets work in real life. I'm Lisa Deschardins, and I'm your host. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual podcasters and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the Canadian Intellectual Property Office. Big firms, really big firms like Bombardier, Huawei, BlackBerry, Ericsson, have something called in-house IP services to manage their IP portfolios. In here, you'll often find a group of lawyers, some of them patent and trademark agents, paralegals. It's like a well-oiled IP powerhouse, ready to identify and protect corporate IP worth billions of dollars. But contrary to what you may believe, these powerhouses are not about cranking out as many patents as possible. Of course, technology is a big component here. But as you'll learn from today's guest, the way to become that IP powerhouse is by staying laser focused on the future and having a plan for how IP will get you there. IP strategy, IP culture. But for small companies, the focus is often on the technology at hand and getting professional assistance to apply for a patent or two, all this using very limited funds. So what lessons can small companies learn from IP giants? How can you learn how to think like an in-house counsel? Robert Gay, I'm so excited to have you here. You have a law degree and an impressive track record of setting up and managing IP departments at a handful of multinational companies, including Bombardier, BlackBerry, and currently you are the IP director at Shopify. Welcome to Canadian IP Voices. Hi, glad to be here. I'm so happy to have you here. I know we have a lot of interesting questions for you. First of all, thanks for uh, coming to uh, Canadian IP Voices. Can you talk a little bit about yourself and the kind of work you do at uh, Shopify? Absolutely. So I'm a, a patent lawyer by trade. This is what I do at Shopify. This is what I've always done for the past probably 22 plus years now, working, as you said, in, in a lot of different places, mostly Canadian conglomerates, helping those companies grow patent portfolios and uh, helping them grow them in a way to meet business goals. And those goals obviously can range uh, depending on the firm from you know, protecting innovations to building innovative credibility of the company out in the marketplace, building out licensing programs, building out defensive assets that can be used in case of a patent assertion threat. I try to help companies think very strategically about how they build their portfolios for what they need. We're going to talk about small companies now because they're often not in the same situation with respect to resources to manage their IP. So can you explain to someone managing a small firm what the main differences are between hiring, say, a third party to apply for IP versus having someone in-house to help you with this? Yeah, I think there's a lot of companies throughout their journey that have to think about this at some point in time. So when it comes to the nuts and bolts of the IP services themselves, I don't know that there's much of a difference in terms of how the scope or the nature of the services that are rendered. You know, you could have somebody drafting a patent application and they could do that in an in-house setting or they could do that externally at a law firm. Same is true also for pairing and filing a trademark application. So when it comes to the mechanics, when it comes to execution, you know, there isn't really much of a difference. 
There is a difference, though, in how those services can be rendered and how much value those services can have. And this isn't really so much in relation to who performs the services and the quality of those underlying services. It has to do more with how related or relevant they could be to the business objectives. In other words, when you work in-house, you're a lot closer to the business. You're a lot closer to its objectives, the goals that it's pursuing. You're a lot closer to the product. You're a lot closer to the leadership team. And so all of that proximity really gives you the added advantage of being able to tailor how those IP services are rendered, therefore potentially increasing the value out of those services. As an entrepreneur, it's hard to stay close to both business objectives and IP if you don't quite understand exactly IP and how you're going to use it long term. You're currently setting up or have set up your seventh corporate IP department. And so you've probably seen hundreds of patent applications go in all sorts of directions from dead on arrival to big commercial success. As an IP counsel, what lessons would you share with someone who's considering to file for their first patent application? Yeah, that's kind of an interesting question because I, you're right. I've seen a lot of patent applications and I, I've seen applications developed by small firms, applications developed by large players and stuff like that. And what, you know, there's one thing that I've seen several times being done, and that is folks just basically going through the motions without really thinking much about the uh, underlying, like how the patent application is prepared and the underlying value of the patent application or the, the resulting patent. And what often ends up is if there is a disconnect between who is seeking patent protection and who's performing that service, you might end up with a patent application really that doesn't fulfill the goal of whoever is looking for that protection. And by that, I mean, somebody could approach an IP provider saying, hey, you know, like I've created this new service or this new product. And uh, I just heard that might be a good idea to get some protection here. Can you help? And then depending on who's offering the service, they may actually give you something. They'll give you a patent application. They'll file it for you. They might get you a patent as well. And then years later, the owner of the patent might look back and say, oh, you know, like I've got this killer patent on my product and now I want to use it. And then often realizing that they can't really use it and they can't really enforce it just because of the way that it was drafted, because of the way that it was, you know, the claims were written because of that disconnect between whoever drafted the application and the business goals. I've seen that disconnect happen so often that what I often recommend somebody who's doing this for the first time is to try to really avoid the possibility of that disconnect. And that's a hard thing to do, but a good way to think about it is if you're going to go and consult and get somebody to help you out, an IP expert to help you out in this field, make sure that you don't describe a product in your patent application, that you don't describe it in terms of an offering, you describe it in terms of a technical solution to a technical problem. Because really the purpose of the patent is to get protection for something that is patentable. And often, obviously, like the criteria for patenting things are different from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. But when you think about it, usually like the common theme is that has to be technical. It has to be a solution that fixes a technical problem. So for folks that are new to this world, really have to have this frame of mind as opposed to thinking, I've got a new product, I have a new service, and I just want to patent on it. Because if you do that, that's probably a recipe to failure. And the way to mitigate, as I said, the disconnect 
between what you have in mind in terms of what you've come up with, what the patent ultimately will cover is to really think about it more in terms of a technical solution to a technical problem. You're saying the mindset. I wanted to ask you, what do you think is the most important mindset then for entrepreneurs to maintain in the process when it comes to IP protection? Yeah. So thinking more broadly about this issue, technical solution or technical problem, I know it may sound like you'd end up narrowing the scope of what it is that you developed in terms of product or service, but really you don't. What that analysis of that mindset will get you is it'll get you to think more in terms of how the patent will be used in the future. And so by focusing on that technical solution to technical problem, it will divorce what it is that you're trying to patent from the product or service that you develop. The reason why that is important is a patent becomes valuable only years after it's been filed and a few years after it's been granted. Usually nobody worries about the patent and the technology will not have caught on to things that have been patented until like eight or nine or 10 years into the tenure of a patent. So that means whatever you patent now is likely not going to make it to market, broadly speaking, like meaning others will not be looking to maybe do similar things until eight or nine or 10 years later down the line. And that means that things can change over time, right? So one of the very important things to think about for interpreters when it comes to IP protection, patent protection specifically, is to try to future-proof what it is that they come up with. And the best way to do that is you divorce your new product and your new service from what it is that you're going to try to patent to the extent you can. Meaning, if you hone in on the problems that you solved with your solution, if you think about it that way, it's going to allow you to think about, well, what else could you change? What else could you tweak and still solve the same problem and still not be too far removed from what it is that you've come up with in terms of technical solution? But you'll end up with a much stronger patent now because you will have future-proofed your patent for whatever might hit the market eight to 10 years down the line. It's important to do that because in my experience, I've rarely ever seen a patent for an idea where the patent has become valuable later on and where the ideas that were targeted, where the, the commercial implementations that were targeted by that, that patent later on were the same as the original idea. Ideas always evolve. So and a patent is only as valuable as the uptake in the market later on. Meaning a lot of people think that the value of patent is proportional or correlated to how exclusive your solution might be out there. But at least in the high tech and the software space, the reverse is true. Meaning you want your idea to become ubiquitous in the marketplace. You want your idea to be copied by others because when that happens, that's what gives a lot of value to your patent. And that's how professionals or, or experts value patents. So they'll look to see, is it ubiquitous in the marketplace? Does it cover things that a lot of players do? And if it does, then we'll value it accordingly. And value typically goes up. So the whole idea is to try to future-proof your patents as much as possible. And the best way to do that is really to think about your, your new products and your services more in terms of technical solutions to technical problems so that you can really maximize the breadth and the scope of the protection that you'll get with your patent. I really like the idea of the future-proofing of your application and what you're going to do in the future. It brings me to another topic that we often try to explain, and it's about IP strategy. 
To some people, it's a document. To some people, it's more of a mindset. You've been working with so many big companies. In your words, what does IP strategy mean to you? Is it a document? Is it a mindset? What have you seen in, in terms of IP strategy? Someone's creating an IP strategy. What are they creating? Oh, gosh, I've heard that word so many times before. And everybody's got their own take on it, right? But to me, what it means to have an IP strategy is simply means to have a plan. How do you plan to use IP? How do you plan to leverage those IP assets, right? It could have many forms. It could be in the form of a document. It could be in the form of an approach or a mindset, as you said. It, all of these incarnations would work. The important thing about having a plan is really to have a set of guideposts to guide you in how you're going to grow those IP assets. And the reason why that's important is because seeking IP protection isn't cheap and isn't for the short term. It is usually a long-term play that is not cheap. And so that's why having a plan is important. And also that's why communicating that plan to the business is important. So a lot of people will market costs. They'll say, look, yeah, it's all well and good that you're telling me that I need to protect so many inventions a year, or I need to do X, Y, and Z and file all these trademark applications. But at the end of the day, you want to be able to communicate why you need to get that protection and how getting that protection will help support the business objectives. You need to be able to articulate that clearly. And the way to do that is by having what a lot of people call an IP strategy or in more layman terms, having an IP plan. You mentioned guideposts and the importance of articulating why you're doing certain things. If you're someone who hasn't been thinking too much about an IP strategy, what do you think are some of the key factors that companies, small or large, should keep in mind as they decide on an IP strategy? Well, you really have to look at the business objectives. You have to go back to square one and say, well, where is the business at in terms of its growth? What products or services does it offer? What are the key short-term business objectives that it has? What are the key long-term business objectives that it has? And then once you've outlined all of these things, then you have a starting point to start thinking about, okay, well, how does IP play into it? One of the threads that I like to look at is company growth stages. So for example, are you a or just a startup that has only two employees with a killer idea, but without any investments? And you're just looking to you're you're looking for capital. I mean, that would be like one stage of a company that would be extremely relevant in how much money you'd like to spend on IP protection versus like a more established player that isn't necessarily looking for investment, but is looking to fend off competitors and potentially mitigate patent assertion threats, right? So these are two very different growth stages that you really have to consider and take into account as you lay out an IP strategy. Another stage that also is different is, are you looking to eventually go public with your company, right? A lot of investors are looking for signs that you are taking measures to obtain or maintain a certain level of exclusivity in your product offering or in your service offering. And so they will look to signs of the existence of an IP plan, for example, or an IP strategy or the development of an IP portfolio in order to support that initial public offering, right? So that's an example of looking at the business setting, you know, the growth stage of a company, looking at the business imperatives there to basically 
fuel or to basically determine what elements of an IP strategy you will need at that particular moment in time that will best serve the business objectives. Thank you so much, Robert, for coming to Canadian App Voices and sharing those very important insights with entrepreneurs and probably other IP councils out there. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You've listened to Canadian IP Voices, where we talk intellectual property. In this episode, we heard from Robert Gee, Director of IP at Shopify. Robert has built and managed in-house IP departments within many multinational companies and says IP strategy isn't all about getting patents for the specific product or service. It's about future-proofing your IP by protecting the technical solution to a technical problem. This mindset can help you get IP protection that will serve your business well in the future. Robert also talked about IP strategy and how it should reflect your firm's current growth stage. If you're curious to learn more about different kinds of IP strategies, look for the link in the description to this podcast.